This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. To the surprise of most of us, the past two years of COVID and the pandemic shutdown have been amazingly good for the design industry. As Americans spent more time at home, they began to want to upgrade and improve their surroundings. And the design industry boomed. Sure, there were supply chain issues and delays, working remotely wasn't always easy, and hiring new talent became difficult. But virtually every designer was busy, with many turning down work. But is that about to change? Inflation has hit, gas prices are reaching unprecedented heights, mortgage interest rates have risen, and the cost of monthly rentals are through the roof, and homes and apartments are not easy to find. Supply chain issues are improving, but now many of the big box and home improvement stores are reporting a glut of inventory, and their profits are down. What does all this mean for the high-end designer? I have with me today the heads of two major companies who cater to the to-the-trade market and have an in-depth understanding of its cycles, and who have been around long enough to have seen and survived some previous slowdowns. First up is Gail Singer, president of the Savannah-based brand Circa Lighting, which she founded in 1998 after working with her brother Andy, the head of Visual Comfort. With its 36 showrooms across the country, Circa Lighting has become the largest dealer of visual comfort lighting and represents three other brands as well as the line of ceiling fans. And now things are coming full circle with the recent announcement that Visual Comfort and Circa Lighting will merge and the siblings will once again be working together. More on that later. Welcome, Gail. Hi, Michael. I'm also fortunate to have with us Timur Yumasakla, president and CEO of F. Schumacher & Company. He joined the 132-year-old fabric and wall coverings company in 2015 with the express aim of taking it into the 21st century. Working with the company's president, Benny Frowine, and creative director, Dara Caponegro, he has expanded the firm into paint, bed and bath, and even a successful magazine, Frederick. The company has a major presence on social media and now issues new products on a weekly basis, which are available at its 18 showrooms and at design centers in Canada and Europe. Hello, Timor. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So glad you're both here. So, Gail, I want to start with you. I want to get a sense from both of you. We'll start with you. What your business was like for the past two years and what change you've seen in the last few months? Were you as successful as everybody seemed to be? Or, you know, because (laughs) the other thing about the design world is sometimes people only tell you the bright side. (laughs) So tell me the truth. (laughs) Well, I always say to everybody, especially in our, our salespeople, the truth is the easiest thing to sell and also the easiest thing to tell. So it has been very interesting, but it's been very good. Just like you said in your introduction, people are home. People finally came to the conclusion also after spending so much time in their home that this is really a place that they want to spend time and it should be the way that they want to live in it every day. And so people looked around and said, why are we living like this? It's also, it's kind of like the irony of fixing your home up to sell it. Like, why didn't you fix it up? Right. I've always said that, Gail. <laughs> so good. I've never understood that. It's the craziest thing. That. Right. So 
We were very fortunate that we work with amazing, talented, passionate, do whatever it takes to get it done people. And both internally and externally, our customers, amazing. And we're all spending a lot of time at home. We're more engaged. I never looked at Instagram. I'm on Instagram all the time now because that's really how I got to hear from our community. And people were doing whatever it took to keep business going. So it was a very good time. We had to pivot to get everybody working from home. So we were fortunate that we were able to pivot really quickly, get everybody working from home. Our salespeople did not give up. They were, and nor did our customer. So things were very, very good during that period. And especially when you're in the higher end, people are buying something somewhere all the time. You just have to get them to buy it from you. Right. And Timur, would you say the same with Schumacher? I mean, I was under Dara. You certainly were on Instagram even before COVID. And she really brought that (laughs) to social media and the web. But have the sales been strong through the two years? Because the other thing about fabric, and I mean, I know you also do Patterson Flynn rugs as well, but a lot of it is custom. So there were delays. I know delays beyond the usual eight to 12 weeks. Yeah, absolutely. 2019 was like, I think, uh, in recent history, I have to say, with our 130 or 40 years. But it was like our record year in like recent history. And then kind of like, obviously, we went into the pandemic. So I do would say like, you know, the beginning was very challenging. But I also would definitely second what Gail said. It was like a pivotal moment, right, which I think with all of its challenges, and I think definitely like a lot of really difficult moments for all of us, it was also like a really it sparked a lot of like new ideas and new innovation, new realignment on how to communicate, on how to work, how to rethink the home. So like I think like 2020 was definitely all in all, definitely not an easy year. I think right. the overall company still grew about 12% in the end. I think the Schumacher brand grew like 20%. As you can tell, they're like, so the rug business is always a little bit more challenging because of the New orders are in is like fun, right? So you have to wait until you can actually record that as revenue. And then so like 2021, yes, I think that 2021 was, I mean, fireworks. And I would say with every fireworks, also like sometimes be careful when you handle them, right? So I think that our top line, the Schumacher brand was just really, really strong. I think we made very early the decision for the benefit of our designers and the homeowners to buy a lot of inventory, right? So like already in the middle of like 2020, I remember like in May 2020, we bought a lot of inventory already at the time because we were afraid of supply chain disruptions. And that just propelled, I think, our 2020. 21 results just like way beyond and i think it allowed us to really like deliver the reliability i think our design community you know expects from us but also i think deserves right so i think that's i would say i think in terms of working together yes i think what you said gail i would see right i think it brought us really it was so much easier now to connect we did like you know in the beginning we did like weekly town halls just to keep everybody kind of together and everybody knew as we were learning what COVID meant right to get everybody on that and also just a sense of community just feeling not alone the last thing i would say in terms of macroeconomic at the time and i think we're going to talk more about this differently i think that the home is something that follows our social life Right. And so I think the one thing that has fundamentally changed is that all of a sudden this ratio of adults being at home and awake has skyrocketed. Right. So all of a sudden, this idea of having an open floor plan with no doors whatsoever 
Yeah, yeah that's been an issue. Whoever's selling doors probably had a resurgence. Right. But, you know, right. but, so I think, and I also think like all of a sudden your needs are very different. I do think that commuting is a whole different ballgame now. I really find 2020 was the moment where physical distance got a whole new meaning and became less relevant, right? So up until that, history always was, let's travel faster. You know, we walked, we rode the horse, we took some sailboats, we took some steamboats, we took planes, and now we want to get supersonic planes. But all of a sudden, why do I have to travel at all? And I do think something major has happened, which I think will shift how homes will look like and how we all will live so fundamentally. And for us, most likely very excitingly, you know. I think that's great. And one of the things that's impressive about the design industry as a whole, and you you two are great examples of it, was that with the shift for people being at home, the demand was there and you had to figure out how to meet the demand via Zoom, via technology, all the... But things are starting to change. I mean, I don't think remote work is going away. People are going back to their offices, but I don't think that's going away. But at the same time, there are no longer restrictions. You don't have to stay home, which you did for a long time. People are traveling more. Demand for travel is crazy. You get into an airport or whatever, you're stuck there for four hours now, no matter where you're going. You know, can't keep up. So people are shifting the way they were spending their money. And I have had a couple of designers say to me, Already the stock market has fallen, the war in Ukraine, all the upsets in our own country. They're seeing their clients getting nervous and pulling back, maybe putting things on hold. Are you guys starting to see that in your business? Because I think of the design industry as sort of a leading indicator of a laggard indicator. You know, high-end people, <laughs> the people of great wealth, always have money to spend, but they're not immune to the larger social world out there. And I remember in 2008-9, a lot of the department stores, the few people who would go to the stores they wanted, you know, the specialty stores, the high-end stores, they would give them plain brown shopping bags because it was almost embarrassing to be seen spending money at designer boutiques or Bergdorf's or whatever. So all of this is making me think people are getting skittish. So is that true? Gail, have you found that? Have orders slowed down? So we haven't found it yet. Okay. And I'll go back to 2008 and 2009 when everybody thought the world was coming to Panic. an end. Panic. And so it didn't. So even in 2008 and 2009, we saw growth because we worked really, really hard. And we work really hard every day regardless of what's going on, so that when times like this happen, we haven't sat back for the last two years and go, oh my God, business is so great. We don't have to go out there and call (laughs) on any customers. We get up every day and do what we're supposed to do every day. And we say, thank you for the abundance. And then we're prepared when maybe the growth isn't as great as it's been for these last two years. Right. And Timor, what about you? Because certainly rug orders and even fabric orders have to come in pretty early on in the design process because they have to be made. (laughs) You know, are you noticing any sort of slowdown or skittishness on the part of your designer clients? I would not say skittishness, right? I do think that what we do can see is that in the very high-end custom rug part, it is... Still very strong. I think we're still like actually at record levels in terms of order intakes. It's just not as strong as it was like last October, right? So I have a little bit of a hard time to say was October because that was like a whole different planet, I would say. I have a hard time to exactly say what's currently actually like a new normal, so to say. 
But I do see like in very expensive rugs that maybe like someone says, okay, well, let's hold on for one second to see kind of like where this is exactly all going for. But in overall, I would say by far our biggest hindrance is supply chain, right? So I think we still, yeah, we have still so much more demand than we can fulfill. So I'm actually, so that's actually not yet the biggest concern. And I think like I really, what Gail, you said, I think like is very important because I think that it's these moments, and that's what I find like particularly challenging about these 2020, 2021, 2022. They were all a little bit chaotic years in their own way. Because I would yes, say the I new normal like, is not normal for long. Right. And I think running a company in a little bit more of a chaotic outside shocks is actually a little bit tricky because I would always say that I think like our teams have done a fabulous job and are still doing hard at work to really tighten everything up, right? Because I do think we have to be super agile, super nimble you know, use modern technology kind of like to optimize, right? So because when the times comes, if you start doing anything when the times come, it might be too late, right? So it's always like in the best years, you have to work the hardest. That's my philosophy on that. And so because then then you have the moment to set yourself up like for success, right? And so, so I do think that's very important. I can see that there's skittishness. I still think that for us, at least supply chain, particularly ports, I think a particular problem and then freight cost as a, just as a cost item. Well, I've read that the shipping costs have started to come down a little bit, mm. but at the same <laughs> time, you have to... Fingers crossed, yeah, Michael, on that. A little, little, little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, like, they like quadrupled or something. I mean, the cost of shipping a container from Europe. They did quadruple, and some of them are coming down. A little bit. Correct. But still, yes. there's backlog. Yes. Obviously, you have to absorb some of that cost somehow. So you either absorb it in margin or you absorb it by raising prices. And clearly, everybody had price increases, several of them over these last two years. You had And really, in the higher end market, it's a little bit easier. You don't have to increase your price that much to absorb it. In the more popular and lower end market, when a container goes from $5,000 to $20,000 and you're selling a $5 item, how do you absorb that? It's, It's impossible. So it's a lot trickier. My other question is, as we move ahead, and, you know, I, I do think designers are, you know, the, the stock market, which affects a lot of high-end design customers, let's face it, they're, a lot of them are in finance or have big investments, has fallen, it's gone up a little bit. What would be your advice to designers whose clients are a little bit skittish? And also in terms of their own firms, because I know 2008 and 2009, a designer told me how, what a horrible thing he had to go through because he had to lay off like eight people on his staff. And he said it was the most horrible thing he'd ever had to do. And I've had to fire some people in my day. It's not a fun or pleasant thing to yeah, do. It's the worst. But, and then when things picked up again, he was very reluctant to hire people back because that memory of laying people off was so vivid in his mind. So is there any way to sort of anticipate that kind of change. What do you think designers, your customers, should be thinking about now in terms of sustaining their firms and keeping their clients happy? Well, I think that they really had kind of the same thing two years ago where nobody knew what was going to happen, but they pushed through. And I think that's the key is you have to keep on going. So if you have a client that is saying, I need a minute, chances are they're going to see, just like we all watch our accounts go up and down every day, Mm -hmm. but we're not losing everything. They're not going to lose everything. 
and they're still going to want that rug or that wallpaper or that lighting fixture or the couch or whatever. So it will come, maybe they'll postpone it a little bit, but the idea that it's going to stop and run dry and nobody's going to buy anything anymore. I mean, I think that's not going to happen. I surely hope it's not going to happen. It never (laughs) has happened, right? Even in the worst of times, people still got out there and bought something. It's And like I said, it's just going to be harder. You're just going to have to go out there. But I don't think business is going to stop. And you just may have to think of things to be of more value to your customer, or maybe you'll have to do things a little bit differently so that your customer can is still going to buy that item. Maybe it's, so I'll have to pass my discount on and just get my hourly fee in order to keep this thing going. That's certainly true what you said about when the pandemic first struck, but that sort of panic or change only with, with much short time. I mean, it's within short, three months, I know people, the same very way quick that turnaround. it was in 2008 and 2009, the world right. did not come to an end and people continued to buy. But, but Gail, a lot of firms did go out of business. A lot of businesses, what people lost their jobs. I mean, people I'm got not laid saying, off. I'm not, I'm right, not minimizing right, the impact. Right, it was right, a bad time. Right. So I guess my question to you, Timor, is do you see this as this current slow down on the horizon as more like we saw in 2020 or more like we saw in 2008-9? Yeah, I mean, you have a finance background, so hopefully, you know, you've been advising. So I, I'm not asking you to look into a crystal ball unless you have one handy, but how are you approaching this from Schumacher's point of view? Are you considering it as more of a, a blip or something that's going to be sustained? I think it's more of a blip, in my opinion. I mean, a blip, it might be a little okay. bit too short, right? But I, but A longish blip. I think along, I don't think it's because, right, I think maybe one, I'm a generally like a half full guy, you know, like a more like of a, you know, optimist, I would say. So <laughs> take that. But Good. I would say if you look at like some very important trends, right. And so I think one of the most astonishing trends I find is, for example, the undersupply of new housing and new houses built in the United States on a year over year basis is very consistent. And has lasted over like by now, I think probably almost like since the last housing bubble burst. And it's probably yes. like a, still a hangover, right? So one, right? So, and I think like, I don't know, I don't know the exact numbers and I'm not an economist, but I think it's like in the millions of like housing units missing, right? And I think that expands to the higher end and the lower end. That's one, right? The second thing is, I do hope, and I think if this quarter is, uh, our GDP shrinks, is, I think we're technically in a recession, but so we might be already technically in a recession, just don't know have the data yet. But I don't see yet that this is going to be a very long lasting one because the key inflation drivers are very clear, somewhat be able to isolate. And I also think they come in, in a time where it's very important to, you know, like, and where, like, I think the labor market asks for that to raise, like, wages. And right. so, and in that context, I think that the way I look at this is, I think it's more of a blip. And the last thing is, just, I do think our industry and the product we help to supply that goes into one of, I think, the most important experiences, our homes, is fundamentally changing. And I think that's, like, the most fundamental change, I think, that's happened to homes in over 50 years. And I think that will give us a groundswell of smaller projects, bigger projects, new builds, 
I think we're going to see like a record level of people would like to move, permitting they can find, you know, like a new right. home. Right, it's, it's the lack of inventory. It's a big frustration. Right, but I think it's much better if there's a lack of supply rather than demand. And I think what right. we're looking at is we're looking at a lack of supply, not demand. Even demand might be coming down. And in that case, I would say that's better and that should make it blip-ish. I think that's what you call it. <laughs> right, a longish blip, we'll say. That makes me feel good. I'm glad you're so optimistic, Timur. Uh, Gail, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I hope I'm right. Stop watching the news. <laughs> exactly. that's, that's, that's my best advice. <laughs> that is not good advice. Stop watching the news. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, I want to ask you, are there particular things that you're doing as a firm in terms of your showrooms and all that? And I, I want you to tell me a little about you and Andy back together again, taking the show on the road. I think that's so exciting. Was that something that you did thinking that things were going to slow down or was it just something that was inevitable was going to happen? So we have really been one company since 2014. We came together oh, right. as one company since 2014, but we remained operating under fooled separate me. names. You fooled me. <laughs> yeah, I know. And at that time, and we, through the years, kept on discussing this name, right? I mean, we've created a brand that I believe is pretty beloved out there by the people that, that do business with us. I certainly love it. Right. I think it's great. I, agree, I love yeah. it. And I, I redid my house in Connecticut. It's all your visual comfort. It's circulating. Right. You know? And so for the last whatever 2022 minus 1998 is a lot of years, everything that you purchased from us arrived to you in a visual comfort box. True. And then we started telling the story, brother, sister, maker, distributor, we started telling the story. And now as we continue to grow and really have a pretty robust growth plan to get behind one brand makes so much more sense. So right now we support visual comfort, generation lighting, tech lighting, Monte Carlo fans, seagull lighting, and circle lighting. We have six Instagram accounts. We have six email accounts. We have six of everything, six different brands that we, six websites. It's a lot. That's a lot, a lot to maintain. And visual comfort also has a very powerful name in the market. So the idea of getting behind one brand just made sense for us at the time. And because Visual Comfort is the maker, it made the most sense to get behind that brand because that... If things do slow down, this way you've got much more control and not six little puppies you have to look after. <laughs> right. But the one big dog. It makes sense. 
And Timor, what about you? Because Schumacher also has different brands. You even have a paint brand now, Backdrop. How are you thinking about this? I know you put out new designs constantly. The team is great on social media and your emails and make it very enticing. And I get all that stuff on my emails and my Instagram feed. But are you also looking at reducing the number of SKUs that you have or focusing more things more? What do you think is going to be the big challenge for you in this year ahead, which was most likely going to contain a longish blip? I would say that, I mean, supply chain is definitely going to be still one, right? Right. I think that's one that, because it's just like, it creates a lot of noise. I think we're literally working day and night to go like for, you know, a customer experience that's really exciting, right? And I think that's just, with supply chain, you sometimes have to sit even longer for that. Yeah, um, especially rugs, I'm sure. (laughs) You know, oh my God. There was a moment where we said, if this keeps on going, we need to find someone with a plane to kind of like bring our rugs out of like, because it's just like really getting difficult. But, no, I think like, you know, the challenges for us, I think we're like now approaching, I think our next level in terms of like utilizing and experiencing technology, right? So I think we're like now we have relaunched, I think in the last 12 months, almost all of our websites. They're like now sitting on a data lake. We're like trying to learn more about our customers. We're trying to find better ways on how we can serve our customers. And I think that's, I think what's really coming next for us, right? I don't know if like our customers want to sell by with cryptocurrency, who knows? And I don't think that's it. But I do think what's very important is that you can pay with Apple Pay. You can pay however you want. You know, you can pay on your phone. You can get the tracking wherever you want. You can get inspired. Just like, you know, I think next we're going to relaunch a new search algorithm on the Schumacher website. So I think there's a lot there, which I think will help in two folds. One, really for our customers to experience more, having much more tangible feelings like of what they see, much more transparency, easier ways to communicate with their clients. And then also like, you know, really empowering our teams internally, right? So really where you feel like, why not like, do I still have to do this all and press so many buttons and then it's much more seamless? Because I do think that technology can be so wonderful and innovation is one, I think, the most exciting things I think there is. And so bringing that and really further implementing this and further living with it, I think that's going to be what are the most, the biggest opportunity. And as with any opportunity, it's probably also going to be a challenge now and then, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's interesting what you were saying that because, you know, it used to be anything to do with to the trade design was as far from an impulse buy as you could get. But now with Instagram and all that, I mean, still, you're buying fabric, you have to know how many yards you need. But it's still, I think it creates excitement. And It's interesting to me that when people see it, they want it. And I guess part of both of your jobs now is to make sure that your clients, the designers really, but their clients also see this and know your brands. And is that something that you think, Gail, that you're going to invest more in social media and doing all of that stuff to keep the demand constant? Because as you were saying, Timor, it's much better to have the demand and not the supply than to have the supply and not the demand. (laughs) Correct. So you constantly have to be investing in that. I mean, everything, whether it's Instagram, Pinterest, SEO search, all the things that you have to do to keep in front of your customer and to segment them and to know where they are, it's it's an enormous investment. And you have to constantly be fresh and keep in thinking about new things and ways to engage them. You've got to get in front of everybody because even if you're using an interior designer, you need the consumer, their client, to know about you and want their designer to find out where you are and purchase that fabric. So you kind of have to find everybody 
that's in your wheelhouse. And it's an enormous investment. And it's really changing. Both of you are changing what it means to be to the trade, which I think is so interesting because obviously you have your showrooms and design centers and all of that. But you both are showing your work, Schumacher, Patterson, Flynn, on social media. So people are aware of it and want to buy it. So I guess the question to me is, how do you keep your designer client relationship strong and not have the designers feel that you're undercutting them by making stuff? I mean, you sell on Cherish, I know. Both of you have products that are available, uh, have been available on Cherish and all that. So people don't have to go into a showroom in the way they used to or hire a designer in the way they used to. So is that going to be a challenge to your designer clients moving ahead? And how are you going to handle that? Occasionally, it will be. Occasionally, Mm -hmm. the designer is not going to be happy when we go on sale. So we handle that in a very, very sensitive way. We let them know when we're going on sale. And we usually give them, depending on their price level, another bump Mm -hmm. so that they Mm -hmm. can still make their margins Mm -hmm. because they're Mm -hmm. all about margins. Mm -hmm. That being said, and this is probably not going to be very popular, but the interior designer also has to realize that things are changing and that their client has access to everything in the palm of their hand. And so really what's going to be interesting, and I say that being very protective of our trade accounts and because we know that they're everything to us, but I've been saying that for years. You want to get the, you go get the best price. You place the order, you check it in when it gets there You try and get it returned when it comes in wrong and you don't have a relationship (laughs) with the vendor and they're going to charge you a restock fee or they're going to tell you, no, we're not going to take it back. It was customized in its final sale. And then once you get it, you're going to get it installed? That the interior designer brings, they need to make sure that their customer, their client understands with it, you try and figure out what all this is supposed to look like together and oh, have it, you hired me for a reason. And so if the client doesn't understand and appreciate that, they're probably not a good fit for right. the interior designer. Yeah. So yeah, go buy it. Somebody will sell it to you with a discount. Now, I've always said if people hire a designer to be their personal shopper, they don't understand what a designer does. (laughs) It's it's crazy. But Timur, obviously Schumacher is probably more heavily to the trade than circle lighting or visual comfort is, although you're largely to the trade too, Gail. So how do you protect that even as you make people more aware of it as as it becomes a popular brand? Even you have Frederick Magazine, which is so beautiful and it entices people to want to do, you know, your social media feed. Has that been an issue for you in terms of designer trade? Because I think I'm worried that when there's a slowdown, if there's a slowdown and it's longer than six months or eight months, the designers may start to get resentful of clients being able to go and get things. Although there's no turning back with technology. How do you protect your designer clients? Yeah, so one, I think like I would say, like for me, 
a lot of that starts actually with some unclarity, I think, about the tremendous value interior designers bring to the table, right? Because sometimes I find interior designers have a little bit the problem of preventative medicine. Nobody wants to pay for it. But once you need an MRI, everybody says, sure, I'll give you $20,000, right? So you know, instead of like just trying to figure out never to use an MRI. Right. And they bring one, I think they're true artists. And I think like it's really about the composition. But also beyond that, they get discounts, which normally like as an average homeowner, you don't always have access to. Yeah, you can do sell shopping, but then you got like work like with patchwork. But also, I don't even know like what a painter would ask of me to paint a room of mine or like my house. So what paints do I know, right? What's the right outside paint? What's the right fabric? Lighting. I think lighting is such a wonderful element to beautify your home and really give it like depth and feeling. But do you know how to do this or are you just going to do recess lighting everywhere, right? So I think it's very expensive, I think, as a homeowner, unless you're like a naturally talented and maybe you should be an interior designer. I would guess that every homeowner ends up with a more expensive product and a worse product. That's why cars are made by German engineers. I'm a German engineer, so just like for that. But that's, I think, like why that is. And so I think we fundamentally follow this idea Every home, average home is probably like two to 500 to 2,000 items that go into the decoration. Do you know how much work that is to make it all look good, <laughs> right? And we do celebrate that. So I think Frederick is a very important part, right? That's why we invest so much into our social media. That's why we have Freddie. Because I do think that we want to celebrate it, right? So and I think that is really, really important because if you just think about all the important memories we have at home. And now we work from home. Now, what has fundamentally changed with Instagram and TikTok, how many more peak holes or something you have all of a sudden to look into homes. Homes are going to be so much more front and center of what we do. They're going to be much more of a representation who we are. I mean, I really think that not just because I'm an optimist, I do actually think that the fundamentals going to elevate the experience of the home so much more. The other thing is, and I think that's like you said earlier, Gail, I think it's true, right? There's a little bit of a challenge, I think, for companies who are like predominantly to the trade of brand awareness. I'm still, and I'm not sure this might be popular or not, depending probably on the audience, but I'll say it anyway. Did people leave by and far that Restoration Hardware is a luxury product company? It's not. Restoration Hardware is a great company and they do a fabulous job. Don't get me wrong. But the product is mass produced. So you don't get an individual customized experience right? It's not top quality because I can tell you this because like doing this every day, there's definitely one level up to that at least. But so many people think it because all of us are hiding in design centers, quote unquote. And I think that's what I'm always a little bit envious of Circle Lighting with all their stores outside. <laughs> and like customers can experience us and they can say, I really love this like Schumacher product. I love this backdrop paint. Or they can say, I don't, that's fine. But at least they have an opinion to us, right? And so I think there is for us just in terms of who are survival and just like inspiring the homeowner, I think that we have to get known better because otherwise we're all just going to have a restoration hardware interior. Right. And people think that's top of the line, which is a problem. Being exclusive to the trade is like you said, people don't know you exist. And I've had this conversation before where the design centers are, many of them are now open to everybody. So they can be open to everybody, but maybe everybody doesn't get to buy at the same price. Just like with us, we have a retail price and we have a discount to the trade. Price consistency, and I think particularly at our price points, no, we don't want to be on 
promotion. We don't want to give you a discount. It is what it is. We put all like you know, everything we have into our products. And I think they beautify a home. You know, they really make a difference. And so with all of our direct channels, no, there's no discounts whatsoever, right? Because I do think that would, I think, start making it difficult. The second thing I would say, and I think that's oftentimes overlooked, in my opinion, is how wonderful of a client base and customer segment into a designers actually are. One, just for what they do, because like they're just true artists. And I have to say, if you have someone, particularly we have so many fabrics of how our business model works, but if you get someone who does something really special with something you haven't seen before, it does light up your, you know, someone takes like a heirloom couch and rear pulses in something a little bit more edgy, but like also really exciting, makes your heart take an extra step. The second thing, they're very loyal. And we love working with them. It's almost oftentimes like long-term friendships. We have so many customers, multi-generation partnerships, and they know what to do with our product. You know, you need to know how you do a curtain, how do you do shades, how you do it below. And they come back, you know, and they come back several times a year. An average homeowner comes only back every, I guess, seven years or so. Right. I don't know. I love the, I really, like it just even from an artistic standpoint and from a math standpoint, I love the interior designers, I have to say. 100%. And go try and pick out a fabric from a fabric house. Oh, it's overwhelming. I mean, I mean it's even overwhelming for me. You know, don't yeah. worry. I mean, no, it's crazy. You don't hire a designer to buy stuff for you. That's not what a designer does. But I do think, Timur, as you said, to the trade, these designers are changing. I mean, the, the business has changed so much in the past 25 years. I think it used to be that a designer would bring to their client, here's the options. Now the clients come to the designer saying, look at all these options. This is what I like. And partly because Schumacher has fabulous social media and websites. Circa, when you did your showroom at 200 Lex, you didn't go put on the 11th floor, Gail. You have it on the ground floor with all those window space. It's dazzling and people see it and want to know and right, want to have it. Right, because we're open to everybody. We always right. have been. We always open. will be. And because not everybody does use a designer. And I think with this potential slowdown, longish blip that we see coming, <laughs> I think maybe. that maybe, I'm, maybe. I, I hope maybe. you guys are so right, um, but maybe the, the designer has to embrace the knowledge that the client has and work with that and not make it be about price, but to be about, as we were saying, creating atmosphere, having everything right. installed at the right time, everything working. Installing lighting, as we all know, is not easy. Making sure the sofa is not too big for the room. All those primal things. Where's the light switch go? Right. right. But, but Michael, what I think is a very interesting thing about this, what's actually the product I think the interior designer is selling and what are we helping them to create? Right. right? And I do think that what has changed, it's going from a big reveal to much more an adventure, a joint exploration, a joint getting to know things. It's kind of like a little bit more you're going like on a travel tours and you have like mm -hmm. an expert guide with you. And that's kind of like because they tell you here, you don't see the lion, but I do. I'll point it out to you. Great. Right. right. And I think that's what I think has, I think, like changed. And I think that's what's so exciting is that it's much more of a building together. And I think designers are becoming the highly educated and much more trained guides. And it all basically ends up in a wonderful kind of like final house to live in. But I do think 
I would say homeowners that are interested in their house is actually quite nice because most likely you're also going to spend more. I think that's exciting. I think that's definitely changing. But I also would say Schumacher used to have showrooms on 3rd Avenue and 5th Avenue. So there was a time before design centers too. So I think it's just a little bit of a, you know. Maybe it's coming full circle. You know? <laughs> we'll see. Well, I think it's you gonna need be... both, right? Right. So, and we're in both. So mostly the people that come into 200 Lux are interior designers. And that's the nature of that building. And you're right, we wouldn't be on not even the second floor of a building because we want street access for everybody. And that's been our concept. But the designer, they're coming, they're buying lighting, they're buying fabric, they're buying furniture, they're buying cabinets. They're, and for them to be able to have a collection of all those things in one place with or without their client with them is a convenience right. for them. Like even in London, at the design center in London, we're outside. So we're across the street. Maybe it inspires some people to want to walk in and buy a lamp. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm sure it does. But it maybe also inspires somebody who walks by to think, oh, this is dazzling. I need to get some help to make me have a home that's equally as dazzling and go through all these many options and pick the right ones for me. So I think that especially in this next six months or so, designers are going to be very smart who think about their clients as coming to them with information that they will help them make sense of and take the best of. And knowing about brands like Schumacher, Patterson Flynn, Visual Comforts, is only to the benefit of the client and therefore a benefit to the designer. So it's going to be 100%. It's going to be so interesting what happens in the next six months. But I really want to thank my wonderful guests, Gail Singer and Timur Yamasakla, for coming here, projecting into the future and telling us <laughs> how they're going to handle the longish blip ahead. And don't give up hope, right? Right, Timur? <laughs> Never give, don't up give up hope. hope. Do not right. give up hope. Thank you very Again, much, Again, thank you very much for having us. You've been listening to The Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.